0: Warning, spoilers Spoilers ahead. If if you're you're new to Angel Angel or or Buffy, just just like Gabby, Illyrio, and Kim, Kim, it's time time to turn turn off the podcast. podcast. Perhaps Perhaps you you thought, thought, hey, Tim Minears on on this, this. I really really would like to hear some stuff stuff with him." Well, Well, check check out out the last episode of Redemption Cast Cast, where Tim helps Scarg review Hero. Okay, last warning. Here we go. Spoilers ahead. And engage. Angel's a vampire who has a soul and he's glad to see ya. He fights the darkness with Demon Doyle and his friend Cordelia. He spent a century in hell. With a tube of his Nancy Boy hair gel, yes, yes, yes. angels a vampire, and this is his show. Indirect sunlight can't hurt him, so gax s o. All right, this is a special episode of Redemption Cast, and it's very weird because Gabby, Alirio, and Kim aren't here, but Steph is here, and so is Tim Minear. Welcome back, Tim. Thanks. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's been a while. Um, It's so so quiet. It is so quiet. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have Artie yelling, yapping in the background. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, geez, where do you want to, you want to start right at the beginning, Steph, and... We, sure, yeah, let's... Uh... Oh, we have to answer uh, Kim's question straight up. We, we should just do that for her. and. Uh, okay. Because we talked about okay, that. Okay,
1: so Kim Kim's question was, was there anything I wanted to get into the show that I couldn't? Mm-hmm. And specifically there was one thing, which was in the episode uh, reprise, mm-hmm. where Angel finds Darla back in his room and then has the intercourse with her. Mm-hmm um and he kind of throws her through a glass door. Um there's a there was a moment where um he slapped her across the face before he kissed her and the network forced me to cut it out. Oh wow. Cuz it was I'm like but he's raping her.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're like yeah but we can't he he can't hit her and then kiss her. So you'll there's kind of a weird cut in there where he kind of throws her up against the wall and then it, it cuts okay. It's not like it's hugely jarring, but it was just the, the sort of shocking slap. Um, and that uh, that that didn't happen. And then before I did Lullaby, I had the notion of, um, actually in Reprise, and luckily I didn't do this because you know, Darla gets pregnant, et cetera, mm-hmm. later. Um, in order to show that he'd kind of turned evil, when he climaxed at the end of Reprise, I wanted him to stake her at the same time. <laughs>
0: Oh my God. so they're basically like
1: he comes and then she turns to dust <laughs> um and josh thought that was maybe a little too much and plus he didn't he, he wasn't ready to get rid of darla but i thought that would have been just like a complete shocking ending holy cow yeah so they're both they're both from that episode as it turns out
2: oh. what well, did joe uh did did y'all ever did you get a lot of notes from uh, the network over, you know, to graphic scenes Sometime, or
1: not? Not but, not. I mean, that, I think that really that slap in that scene is the only one I remember really fighting with them about, mm-hmm. and I lost that fight. I mean, they told me literally that if I didn't cut it out, they would. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, we uh, we were. It it was almost like, uh, doing a cable show before, before cable shows were really around Yeah, because Mm -hmm. it was a small network and it was Joss and Angel really flew under the radar. And as I was saying in the previous podcast, um, you know, yeah, we didn't do Kate is a drug addicted crack hoe, uh, but the show got much darker and reprise is a perfect example of everybody hitting this sort of existential bottom and, um, You know, so when it got dark, it got dark, but in kind of a a large operatic um, way, and they let us go there. You know, you can do that on a genre show in ways that you couldn't do it on, say, you know, just a a show about doctors or something. At least maybe you could now, because Cable has changed things so significantly, you know, from The Sopranos to Mad Men to whatever things, you know, The Shield. things, Things can be much darker, but at the time... Uh because it was a show about vampires, we could go to places um, that you really couldn't on other shows—really dark places, like you're all fired, mm. you know. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. They wouldn't exactly say, you know, bring, you know, have a cliffhanger in Grey's Anatomy where they discovered that we're actually all living in hell, <laughs>
1: <You know>? right? <laughs> but or, or or you know, when he locks all the lawyers in the uh, in the wine cellar, yeah. which I wrote that episode. <clears throat> Uh, but that was just like, you know, it's like, let's have the character do a really cool thing. Let's have him lock everyone in so that they get murdered. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing.
0: Well, you were talking about uh, a reprise and Epiphany, so I do have a question from that, from Christopher Dunning. It says says uh, that the, those two episodes are absolutely amazing. How much of the conversation Angel has with Kate at the end of Epiphany were you, and how much was Joss? For example, if nothing we do matter. He's doing a quote. That's- yeah.
1: That's me. That's, that was all me.
0: Yeah, because if there's no bigger meaning than the smallest, that was all you. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he, he actually asked if you, you believe that idea slash philosophy. Um,
1: yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I don't know if nothing, I don't know if the things we do don't really matter, but I did when I was writing that. It did seem to me that the notion that there it is a godless universe and therefore nothing that we do matters that that doesn't actually take meaning away from the things you do it actually gives it more meaning because there's nothing left like it is it is in fact everything um, so yeah I mean I kind of believe that I don't know if I believe that that's the situation that we're in but I what I'm saying is if I despair and believe that there that is that it is in fact a rudderless universe that that would be the place that would sustain me I think
2: okay so Rachel wants to know um, since Angel is consistently fighting to restrain Angelus Mm -hmm. is Angelus merely Angel's darker side does he think that does he think that do you think that Angel should integrate the two is that what we see in the beige Angel arc, but without Angel's human connections to keep him grounded?
1: I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I, think what she, I think what she's getting at is, is, is about right. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, look, it, yeah, it's his darker side, except we're saying on this show that it's literally a demonic force that was introduced into his person uh, because of him being turned into a vampire. But that's just a metaphor for the darkness that is inside everybody. And I would say, yeah, we we played the alcoholic metaphor, Mm -hmm. but I think the metaphor really is about, uh, and I got into a lot of trouble when I said this on the internet, (laughs) but I still believe it. Um, I think it's more about male nature.
0: Hmm.
1: um, Because I think there is a thing about male nature as opposed to female nature that does need to be tamed and that does need to be domesticated and that's part of our nature um and you do yeah you have to integrate it because the thing that makes you violent or aggressive is also the thing that you use to succeed in business to protect your family um Mm -hmm. to protect your country you know that that kind of thing um but you know this is why boys need to be taught to be men in a way that women don't need to be taught to be women in the same way and boy,
2: did I get into trouble for saying that. Well, hey, I, I, I totally see that because, you know, with the whole vampire craze, there is something that women are attracted to in vampires
1: mm-hmm.
2: that, uh, you know, some primal, wild nature that, uh, where it's okay to be attracted to that in fiction. And, you know, and not take it into real life. That's
0: been like the main criticism of the Twilight stuff too. Just the fact uh, that he's like basically an abusive boyfriend and she's like a weakling.
1: mm. Well, I would say too that, um, that, but that is a metaphor for male-female relations. And I think that Angel was a metaphor for male-female relations. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. sort of what we got down to, you know, at some point. It It was about a lot of things. And the truth is the metaphors on Angel were never as clear-cut as the metaphors on Buffy. Yeah. They just couldn't be. I mean, you know, Buffy was, a you know, you could say Buffy was high school as hell for the first four years, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the metaphors are really clear. Or the me- even the metaphor of the Angel story on Buffy, where, you know, I slept, I lost my virginity, I slept with my boyfriend, and he seems like a monster the next day. He's a different person. Like, that's a thing that, really happens. You know, things change after you do the deed. Um, so those metaphors are clear and relatable and on Angel they were a little bit more esoteric and we were always sort of having to chase them and find them and, and redefine the thing every nine episodes or so.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, uh, this question that uh, Rich, Justificationer, he wants to know what does uh, the concept of a soul in Angel, what does it mean to you?
1: Um a good question uh i would say on angel this is not my like philosophy of you know this is not my religious philosophy or anything but i would say on angel what a soul represents is the capacity for choice to do good yeah so that if we're saying you're a soulless vampire then you don't even have the capacity to do good you are just a machine for evil you are an animal basically a soulless animal um so an angel that if you if you were a creature with a soul then that puts you into the um into the free will category as far as you know moral acts
2: mm-hmm. it gives you humanity
1: yeah which doesn't necessarily mean you're good
2: that's true
0: Okay, so uh, we have Simone here says, "Okay, Tim loves Darla as much as I do. And I've heard him speak at length about her, including how they killed her off because there was nothing left to do with her. But I'd like to know if there's anything he wished he could have done with her, aside from the hilarious tripping on a piece of loose wood scene. You'd have have (laughs) to clear that up for me. I have no idea what she's talking about. Well, that
1: was that was that was another pitch that I had in the room. Which was when she was lurking around in season, I guess, three, mm-hmm. um, the beginning of season three, when she was being sort of this succubus in his sleep, mm-hmm. um, that because we knew, <laughs> we were going to stake her at some point, um, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if she was like lurking around outside the hotel and she like slipped on some construction and like inadvertently fell on a piece of wood and everyone went, did you hear something? And, and and no one, and they're like, no, I guess not. And the basically her giant demise was like her tripping and no one noticed. So that was, that was one thing I pitched. Um, no, I think Darla, you know, Darla functioned as well as she could. And, and the things that I didn't really want to tip in that other podcast were Darla was my way of, of reacting to the Buffy of it. In other words, I was sort of creating a an alternate theory about his relationship with Buffy. And that becomes most clear, I think, in the episode Guys Will Be Guys, where the Tish Mugev is trying to help him get over Darla. And he says, here's what you need to do. Go out, find a small blonde thing, better, break her heart, and then leave her. And that will help you get over Darla. And so what I was kind of saying is, oh, that whole uh, undying, eternal love that he had with Buffy. Buffy was actually the rebound chick, <laughs> and that she was entirely a reaction to the real love of his life, which was Darla. Yeah. Because she created him, for God's sake. Yeah. So to me, to me, Angel and Darla are are always sort of George and Martha from um, from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Okay. Just this incredibly caustic, sick, codependent relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, that's what that always was. Yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, I I needed to find a way to have an epic romance on Angel that didn't say Buffy didn't matter. And the way to do that was to say "It, it doesn't step on Buffy because most of it happened a couple hundred years before he ever met Buffy. Right. Yeah, a-
2: and he has no control over his feelings for Darla because she's his
1: maker. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the ultimate Oedipal situation. Yeah. she she is literally his lover and his mother.
0: Yeah, it's it's really amazing what you did with this character uh, after just kind of like the short stint she had on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, bringing her back and making her yeah, like you said, epic. Just yeah, awesome. Steph, you have a question?
2: Okay. All right. This is uh, what I don't want to talk about, so we'll talk about it now and get it over with. Okay, Rachel wants to know, oh, I would love to hear his thoughts on Cordelia's character arc in season three. I've read that he was displeased with it. I certainly
1: was. Oh, you mean the whole, like, I ascend and become a higher being and all that shit? Mm-hmm. I think so. I-, I didn't care for it. I never thought that, I never, I, I was never a fan of the Angel Cordy romance.
0: I mean, it's I funny after, after
1: after after sort of going into this whole. You know, I was very careful with the Darla thing, and by the way, I, I you know, I, it's true. I wrote most of the Angel Darla stuff. That that that's that's what seemed to fall into my rotation as a writer on the show. Um, and as I said, I was being very careful to, to try to honor the Buffy of it, but also to kind of do a little bit of ironic postmodern. Um, retconning with what I was doing there, but not saying that you know Buffy didn't matter to me. The Cordelia thing kind of did do that to the Buffy story, yeah. and so I did. I didn't much care for it. And I also thought once Cordy became literally a, you know an ascended being, she became less interesting mm, and almost kind of insufferable. Right.
0: Well, I look forward to the time I. Just thinking about the newbies, like, you know, when we're going to be discussing the arc where, you know, it's not really her, you know, through the entire thing. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, everybody. And, 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 a, a, a lot of that stuff, I thought actually that was okay. Um, now, granted, I was gone for some of that. Right. I was off doing... I was doing Firefly. I when was were involved-
2: you gone doing Firefly?
1: Season four. Okay. Like, I helped with the first handful of episodes of season four, just being in the room and helping break the stories with Joss. And then I went off and just did Firefly. And I came back and actually wrote the story for the second Faith episode, the one where she's in the coma. Mm -hmm. And we go into her dream, into her coma. And she's like following, she's like in Angel's past in her coma. Mm that's what i that that's when I came back um, so yeah a lot but a lot of that was sort of predicated on the fact that charisma got pregnant mm-hmm. I mean charisma was I mean Cordelia was going to be the big bad of that season, hmm. but the fact that she got pregnant meant that we really couldn't go to the big you know kung fu battles that were necessary <laughs> on the show with that character. So she had to give birth to something else they could fight,
0: okay. which
1: is, which is where, you know, which is where Gina Torres's character came from.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, often on TV, it's, it's, you know, you're sort of hostage to events.
0: Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, ooh, uh, some more Darla stuff. We have Carol who says, uh, um, does he remember how they coordinated the writing and production of the crossovers for Fool for Love* and *Darla*? And can he tell us about it?
1: Yeah, that was an interesting situation. I, at the end of season one, I had. Just now again looking for that. If I still have it, yeah. At the end of season one. My name's on a couple of episodes, but. I had become the go-to guy by the end of season one. I I co-wrote Bachelor Party, my name's not on it. I co-wrote Heroes. I wrote Some I co-wrote Expecting. Mm -hmm. I co-wrote I've Got You Under My Skin. I wrote The Prodigal. Um, I wrote about half of eternity. I wrote Sanctuary. I wrote some of Warzone. I wrote some of Blind Date. So I mean, I wrote on most of the episodes after I really started becoming functional Mm -hmm. at the show. And, uh, and then of course that thing happened where I told David when he wipes his ass with my script to leave the Brad's in and then, and then, um, and then suddenly every like, that sort of like pop, you know, Lance, the boil of whatever was going on there. And then Joss and I became like buddies. Joss did not like me at first when I, when I first met with them, <laughs> before, before Angel started, I, came, I I went in to meet with David and Joss. I'd never met him before. And I came in and I pitched some some Buffy ideas. And afterwards, he told me they were the best pitches he'd ever heard, but that he thought I was the angriest man he'd ever met and that he could not spend a moment of time in a room with me. (laughs) And then David asked if he could hire me on Angel, and he's like, yeah, as long as I don't have to be around him. Um, And then, of course, Josh and I became, like, best friends. (laughs) So that just... I mean, we're very similar. And so maybe that's what he was reacting to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But so in season two... Um I told him I wanted to direct an episode. And he, you know, and I'd been in the editing room, I'd been doing, you know, I'd been doing a lot. I was the only one that survived the first year of the new people. And uh and he said, I will let you direct an episode. At the time the writers were not directing episodes. David Wood and Joss Wood, but the other writers were not directing episodes. So I was sort of the first, not Joss or David Greenwald, who said, I want to direct. And David or Joss said, I will let you direct, but if you fail, and you might, you can't quit. Like, you can't get angry and quit because I need you to write and produce the show. Mm-hmm. And I agreed to that. So, we knew that I'd be directing episode seven. And I was not involved with Buffy. And I was not really even paying attention to what they were doing on Buffy. Uh, I was obviously, you know, busily writing Angel. And now I'm pulling up season two on the list. So at that point, I had broken every story with David and Jost. I'd written Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? I'd, uh, I'd, I'd written all the Tish McGev stuff and Guys Will Be Guys. And now we're up to Darla. And Darla, of course, had been a character in those first several episodes. And it felt to me like we had kind of milked darla hanging around the periphery of the of the show and that we really now needed to concentrate on her character and my pitch to joss was and i went down to the buffy stages and i said okay here's my pitch for episode seven i think we should do flashbacks of darla we should tell her story uh, and really get into the uh decades centuries long romance between Angel and Darla and it should be about how he was trying to get back into her good graces after he was cursed and how now she feels cursed in the present day and she's really coming back to him to try to get her to turn her back into a vampire and he said well that all sounds good the problem though is that very night and you have to remember at the time Buffy and Angel aired back to back on the WB before Buffy went over to UPN. He said that very night we're doing Spike's backstory. So that had already been planned. And so, and one thing that we definitely tried to do on the show was not repeat what was going on on the sister show the same night. So if Buffy was doing kind of a really dark episode, we would try to do a lighter episode and vice versa. okay. So at first he thumbs down the idea because he said we're already doing that on 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 Buffy. And then we both sort of at the same moment kind of looked at each other and realized those two backstories would uh, would would cross at several points because for God's sake, if we're, t- if we're saying that Angel and Darla and Drusilla were together when Spike was made, that means that um, that there would be a couple of scenes that would repeat in both episodes. Mm. So based on that idea, there's a play called, um, I can't remember the name of the play, but Joss referenced this play uh, where the first act takes place in the living room and the second act takes place back uh, in the backyard during a party. But both the first and second act are the same time. So that when a character has left the party in the first act, we see them entering into the backyard in the second act. Uh, But it's the same time, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So the the idea was that there would be a couple of scenes in in Angel that had already happened on Buffy, but that we'd be getting sort of the B-side or the A-side of something we'd already seen. And it would take on a slightly different meaning when we saw it the second time. So that's that's how we sort of came up with the idea of doing those two things. As far as breaking those um, two stories, which I think was the question, how do we coordinate it? Um, we really didn't like Doug, Doug and I talked and we and I talked about he, here are the here are the, the orange cones of where I need to go. Like I need to show. Darla turned into a vampire. And then I need to kind of see them together in the early days. And then I need to see them after he's been cursed. And I I knew that there had been a reference to the Boxer Rebellion in some episode of Buffy. And so it seemed to me like that would be a great place for a lot of things to culminate. In China, turn of the century, Boxer Rebellion. And so that's why he had Spike kill his first Slayer in that same place. And then, of course, the characters crossed, and uh, and that's how we did it. So the scenes in China, the exterior scenes in China, not the scene in the temple where Spike kills the Slayer, but the scene outside in that slow motion shot. Yes. I directed all that stuff, and um, We're just And then we, you know, and then and then we tried to use different takes of it. Like in other words, if you look at the yeah. slow motion shot that's in Buffy, it's different than the one that's in Angel. It's the same yes. shot. But I'm running several cameras, mm-hmm. and the difference being in the one that's in Buffy, it highlights Spike, and then the the way it's cut in Darla is it highlights Darla, and her sort of looking at Angel, going something's off with him. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the scene in Buffy when when uh, when Spike says, when when Drusilla says, you know, my Spike just killed a Slayer, Angel seems jealous when you look at it in darla it definitely plays more as i have to get some new friends hmm.
0: mm. <laughs> yeah that uh they they are both however similar in the fact that it that scene is completely badass
1: so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Kudos. For sure. laughs> um at- i mean it's it's my, my favorite thing is the ending where she's just begging him to turn her back i mean that to me is the to me of all the darla angel stuff that i wrote or directed that sequence where it's intercutting with her telling him to eat the baby mm-hmm. and and in the present day just sort of begging him to turn her back into a vampire that to me is the sweet spot of that whole relationship Oh, in the parking garage. Right. Um not in the parking garage, in the in the in the lobby of the in the lobby of the uh, of the hotel.
0: Yeah, she she the uh, the questioner Carol here is but brings up something I, I hadn't actually heard of before, but she says that some people advocate that have been advocating that the newbies, the people that are our co hosts, watch these episodes in reverse because the timeline is clearer. And the only reason they I were on that order because it was because Buffy was aired before Angel.
1: It was never it was never meant to play yeah. um in a linear time frame. Mm-hmm. It's 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 meant to No, it it was designed for the Buffy episode to go first. Yeah, I figured.
2: Simone wants to know, what is your favorite episode from every season, least favorite episode arc, and what was the reason behind Lindsay leaving the series for three years?
1: Okay.
0: Wow. So... You don't
1: have to answer all that. It's a lot of of questions. (laughs) So, what's my favorite episode? Sure, yeah. Um...
2: Have you now, or are you now, or have you ever been?
1: That would have to be in contention for my favorite episode. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, Lullaby, and Reprise. Those three are kind of equal to me.
2: uh, Uh, Why did Christian Kane leave for three years? She wants to know.
1: Probably because he wanted too much money or he got another job. (laughs) I told you, John. (laughs) <laughs> or, or, or whatever
2: uh, Kevin Batchelder wants to know which script story that you wrote are you most proud of
1: uh, well it's, it's hard to do that but um, I would say probably Are You Now or Reprise I mean I think Reprise might, might have been my best script
0: mhm um, Lisa says, "On reflection, do you have a favorite, a different favorite character, or is your favorite the same as when the show was airing?"
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, I love the relationship of Darla and Angel, but I don't know that I'd say like Darla is my favorite character. Yeah. But that was sort of my favorite thing to write in a weird way. Um, one of my favorite characters was was you know Lorne, the host. Yes. Because he was just, you know, he sort of, to me, became what Cordelia was at the beginning. Breath of Fresh Air. Like, yeah, Breath of Fresh Air and snarky. And, like, it was just, like, whatever it was that made that easy for me, it made the host easy for me.
0: Mm -hmm. You want me to just pick one, stuff? Oh, Robin. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, BJ says, uh, well, how do you feel about this whole, well, the intro cast thing that we were talking about, the... The, uh, podcasts like ours that are watching these things with people for the first time. What, what, what do you think about those? Especially uh, the reading inverse ones that have been cropping up. I love oh, it. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Somebody, uh, Chris, asks you if you listen to Redemption Cast. Uh... <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> now you
2: do. <Dave.
1: laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: there's a good And Terrence says, what would you say are your biggest writing influences?
1: Um, I would say, boy, that's a good question. I mean, Shakespeare, not that I'm Shakespeare, but I'm just saying, you know, what are your biggest influences? Um, I guess I would have to say I'm influenced more by people that I work with. So I would say Joss, and uh, I would say uh, Ted Griffin was an influence on Terriers. Um, we both love I that show. Say, by the way, yeah, uh, that's Sorry. my favorite <laughs> show. That is my favorite show. Um, so yeah.
0: Speaking of, I guess speaking of other shows. Uh, I, I, I saw on your IMDB credit, you're a consulting producer on the new show Awake. Can you just tell me what your involvement is in that show?
1: I have no involvement in that show. That is incorrect <laughs> information.
0: Oh, wow. wow.
1: Now it's it, 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 But it's not out of nowhere. They, they asked me to come produce that show, uh-huh. and Howard Gordon agreed to do Awake if I would do it with him. But at the time... <clears throat> they needed me to like go in and like stick my finger in the dike at Terra Nova for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met with Ryan Murphy and he wanted me to come over to American Horror Story. And that was the end of Awake. Oh, okay. Hmm.
2: All right. So uh, for season two, you'll be work. you'll still be consulting on uh, American Horror Story.
1: Yeah, well, I'll be, I think my title is going to be executive producer this time, oh, but great. I'll still be, I'll be doing the same thing.
2: Oh okay. So, well, let me ask you this: When you're consulting, and you're not spending much time there because (laughs) you're doing other things, can how do you go in and write a script for?
1: Well, when I'm consulting, I'm there the same amount of time. It's it's the title is deceptive. Okay. Um, Like when I went on, when I asked for a consulting producer credit on that show, it's because I'm an executive producer, and if I'm going to come in on a show. If I'm not going to have that title, then I'll take the boutique title. It sort of allows me in my tiny brain to invest myself less. In mm-hmm. other words,
0: okay. I'll, feel I'll,
1: responsible. I'll, yes, exactly. It's not my fault. I'm just <laughs> consulting. I'm here to consult. Um, and, you know, because I am developing other things or whatever, but I'm on an overall deal at the studio. So, uh, when they put me on a show, they expect me to go in with, you know, both feet, and I always do.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, this is what I want. I want you to have a show on Showtime. All right. How can we make this happen?
1: Well, I would probably have to go pitch something to David Nevins over at Showtime. <laughs> because no,
2: I think we- you would fit well. Because Showtime, you know, you could be edgy and, you know, nudity and cussing and violence. <laughs>
1: But I think you can do all that on FX. I mean, God yeah. knows. I, I I wouldn't say American Horror Story wasn't edgy. Oh
2: or, no, yeah. Was... Or,
1: or the or the Shield or even Terriers. Yeah. You know, I mean. Um. So it doesn't have to be Showtime, but your your general instinct of I belong on cable, I think, is right.
2: Definitely, Cause, and, because and, okay, and, this and, is yeah. because people that watch network television. Okay, like Awake. I saw the pilot already. It's on Hulu. It's Uh not gonna last. It's too good. It's too Uh complicated. People want they want to turn the television on and use it as background noise.
1: That's probably there's some truth to that. I I I don't know if that's the problem with awake. Uh I mean the problem just might be that it's how do you sustain that concept? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. The thing that makes it interesting is the thing that makes it trouble. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to those guys for doing that. Um, And you're right. It may or may not find the kind of audience that you need on network TV. God knows you need fewer viewers on cable, but we couldn't even get that amount of viewers for Terriers. Well, I blame
2: blame the title.
1: So do I. And the marketing. I do too.
2: Right. FX messed up. They dropped the ball.
1: Well, I mean, you can't completely blame FX because we never – Fought for a different. I mean, I never thought we should call that thing terriers, and I fought about it the whole time. But uh, well, okay, it's just not. It's not a fight I won.
0: Could you tell me why it was called terriers? Because <laughs> I love the show, I just didn't understand. I, I, there was a dog in the pilot. Uh, they, yeah, and
1: I think that's confused. That's confusing. It was a bulldog. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a scene in the in the uh, in I think the first or second episode where they're driving down the street talking about they need business cards. <laughs> And they need a, ma- they need, you know, a mascot or something for the logo, something that's tenacious, but, you know, and they basically describe what a terrier dog is without ever mentioning it's a terrier. Mm-hmm. So that, that sort of explains why they were called terriers. Cause they're just, you know, underdogs. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I thought I should have, I thought the show should have been called small time dicks. <laughs>
0: I I would have liked that. It might have actually uh, got got a bit more attention that way too. <laughs> like,
1: what is- well, I, it also wouldn't have sounded like a reality show about dog grooming.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because I think you could have gotten
2: away with small time dicks. Because you can say yeah. dick on television.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a show called Hung for God's sake. Yep.
2: <laughs> and I, what I I don't get GCB. Why do you want to? Why would you order? a pilot and a a show called good Christian bitches. If you can't say good Christian bitches,
1: right?
0: Crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Chris says, uh, Tim, why are you so awesome? Uh, (laughs) terriers is amazing. Wonderfalls is amazing. Firefly is genius. um, do you believe we are in a new golden age of television? If so, when do you think it started and how did you do it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure didn't do it, but I think we are. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. I think it's because of cable. And because, you know, you can make things like uh Mad Men and uh Walking Dead and Deadwood, even though Deadwood didn't really last, but um because it you know, it, it requires a uh a smaller boutique audience and it's somehow a feasible business model and, uh, and and that's why because of cable the shield I mean Sean Ryan had a lot to do with it yeah so I would say that's why
0: what would you consider being like appointment television for you that, that's something that you're not involved with
1: well, I'm probably like a lot of people. I don't have appointment television because I don't ever watch anything on television. <laughs> I wait for the DVDs, or I watch it all in one fell swoop, yeah. or you know, down, download it off iTunes or whatever. Uh, the things I like are the things I mentioned, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I also watch *Downton Abbey*, which I think is just awful, oh. but I can't, I can't stop watching.
0: I have to start that sometime. Everybody's talking about it.
2: I just don't understand why uh, he put up with have, with what he put up with this season. The uh, Earl, er, which, what's which his one? Name? <laughs> what's oh. his name? The father. I just, oh, can't, right. I, yeah. I didn't buy that he would put up with all that.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't buy most of it, but I couldn't stop watching.
0: But yeah, it's great.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am
0: actually putting into the ch- Skype chat, and you feel free to click on it if you want to. Uh, Lisa told us we need to show you a picture of her tattoo.
1: Okay. And,
0: uh, she's. I, I'll describe it for the listeners. It's an Angel Investigations logo with a railroad spike to the heart that says, "All that matters is what we do."
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I I should get I should get a commission for that.
0: <laughs> well, we'll send her a bill for you if you'd like.
1: <laughs> that's that's awesome. A hilarious story in season. I don't even remember what season it was. It must have been season three. Charisma. <laughs> Christmas showed up with a tattoo. It was like over Christmas break or something. She came back. She'd gotten a tattoo on her wrist. And the tattoo that she got was a crucifix. We're like, there's a slight problem here, Charisma. You're on a vampire show. And now you have a crucifix on your on your body. Mm-hmm. So we had to cover it with makeup every day. I believe there's a back tattoo that shows up every once in a while during, uh, you know, from the beginning
0: of Angel, isn't there? <laughs>
1: Uh, There's a tattoo that Angel's supposed to have on his back.
0: No, no, no. I know Angel has a tattoo, but I think Charisma Carpenter Charisma has, has one,
2: a tramp stamp.
0: Has one that's... Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah on her back or something, yeah. Hmm.
2: And so does uh, Allison Hannig. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. Simone wants to know... Uh, are you working on any new projects? So, can we expect to see a Tillmanier show on FX? I hope so. I hope so too.
1: <laughs> I hope so. I have a couple that I'm working on, so uh, it'd be nice to sell one of my own things.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. You are like us. You're a fan, yes. and I know that we uh, we kind of demonize the. Executives, you know, they're the bad guys because they cancel our favorite shows. But Those um,
1: bastards.
2: yes, so how do you keep the passion for a project when they, you know, just like the network changed Angels so much? Well, which and you will say that uh, you weren't really, they, Joss wasn't really married to the idea of the dark. It's not. It it, it
1: was. It it wasn't about the dark tone. It was just more about. It was the wrong dark tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he agreed. So Mm -hmm. that was never a problem. Every situation is a little bit different. I mean, the truth (laughs) is, you know, uh, these are people uh, in some instances that I've worked with for you know a decade. So executive notes aren't aren't always stupid. Sometimes they're Mm -hmm. quite smart. And we're all sort of aiming for the same thing, which is a success, Mm -hmm. something that's good. I mean, I would certainly say that's for sure the case with Dana uh, Walden and Gary Newman, who are the co-presidents of 20th Television, who I've been working for for over 10 years. Um, So sometimes you fight if you don't agree with the notes. Sometimes you agree with the notes. Sometimes you may not agree with the note, but you have to kind of hear not what they're saying so much as what they're not getting. So there may be Mm -hmm. something in there that you thought was important that should be overshadowing whatever concern they have. And maybe that thing is not landing in the way that you want it to. So those notes can be instructive anyway. um, We didn't get a ton of notes on Angel. You know, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with people like Joss or Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy doesn't really get notes.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I have not been on a network note call for one episode of American Horror Story, wow, he did all. He took all the he he took whatever notes there were himself oh and God. decided whether or not we were going to do them. But for the most part, we didn't get notes from mm-hmm. them. On on Terriers, you know, we got notes from the network in the studio, but they, the notes were fine, mm-hmm. and you know, we were doing what they wanted. Uh, Firefly was different. Firefly was, uh, you know, we got notes. And they weren't necessarily good notes. You know, they want they wanted me to put out of gas in chronological order. You know, the note Boy. was the note wasn't. Wow, this is great. The note was, aren't we being a little too fancy for our own good? And can't you mm. just put this in chronological order? And when I got that note, I told Josh, if they make me do this, I quit. I will quit. Mm. And he said, and I will pack you up with that. So we didn't obviously i mean what they didn't understand that like that was a dumb note Mm -hmm. yeah because if you know anything about out of gas there is no chronological order if you if you literally put that thing in chronological order like you took the things that happened first like they the crew meets or whatever (laughs) and put those before say the explosion on the ship it would just make no sense at all Mm because there's no actual story there the whole thing is told in a kind of dream logic and it, it completely hinges on the crisis that's going on on the ship. So that was a dumb note. Um, Wonder Falls, we also, you know, we also got a lot of notes about, can't she smile more? Uh, we also got that note on Firefly. Why does Mel have to be so mean? Can't, he, can't, he, can't there be more jokes? Um, so we got a lot of that. So if they don't actually like the show from the beginning, if they don't get it, um, then it's always going to be an uphill battle, like it was with Firefly. They just didn't like it. They just didn't like it. You know, they gave us all these notes on the pilot. Joss went back and reshot things, addressed every single one of their notes, and they refused to look at it. They said, no, we're not airing this pilot. So, said, yes, but I, I did everything that you complained about. I've addressed every one of those issues. We've already decided we don't want to start with a two-hour pilot. Wow, Those I mean Firefly. Aren't
2: there, right? Well, yeah, Firefly looks like a million dollars. Like well, it's, way more. Just, <laughs>
1: its way way more than that. But, <laughs> but I <laughs>
2: mean, okay, Firefly looks very expensive.
1: Uh-huh. I
2: just—I don't get why they put they sank all that money into it and then dropped it so quickly.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the nature of the business. Yeah, I'm afraid.
0: Well, at least you can be proud of it, like, that that is the one show most people go to when, like, yeah. they say, what well, was, like, the worst, you know,
1: idea of a cancer show. Yeah, people show. are yeah. still
2: very upset yeah. about it.
0: You know?
1: Well, what's funny is on, on whenever I see those lists, I just saw another one of, you know, shows killed before their yeah. time. I usually have... Two, three, sometimes four shows on this list. <laughs> it's like Terriers, Wonderfalls, Firefly. <laughs> sometimes The Insider Drive. Yeah. Like I usually have at least three.
2: <laughs> but you know, Wonderfalls. I feel like it was before. It's if it was if it was on now, I think it would really catch on.
1: Maybe it definitely feel was. Because I like. Or yeah.
2: Her character. It was,
1: even, it was even before like Ugly Betty. You know what I mean? Like it was before our comedies were really hitting their stride.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. Well, I'd be remiss to not ask about, uh, two episodes of yours that I haven't, we haven't discussed. Uh, are you now or have you ever been? And through the looking glass, do you have any sort of, uh, stories relating to either of those, a production of those?
1: Um, uh, well, those are two extremely good memories. um, are you now was just magic from beginning to end, from writing it to shooting it. I remember when we went up to the Griffith Observatory and shot that night. And we were there until dawn. I mean we were there we had we had to be there for every hour of darkness that we could get just to get all the stuff shot. And it was like it never got it never dipped before below like sixty-two degrees. It was like a warm summer night. Uh, I remember David standing next to, he was in that red jacket with the observatory behind him. Mm -hmm. And if the camera had just moved a little to the left, you would have seen, he was standing next to the statue of James Dean wearing that red jacket. Oh, wow. Rebel Rebel without a cause. Um, Just everything about it. it was just so, like charmed, And it was, it ran about nine minutes longer than it actually ended up being. I had to cut nine minutes out of that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Joss was, he'd gone someplace with his wife. I think they were on a little mini vacation. And I, so I, I was sending him cuts of things. And he said he and Kai, uh, he called me. He's like, we just watched this episode and we can't believe how good this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, you know, when you, when you put an episode together, you put in temp score. You know, you, you put music into the cut as you're cutting it. And generally, you know, after the show's been around for a while, you will have a whole library of stuff that your composer has already done for your show. So there's certain themes you can return to or whatever. But often you're using music from other movies or whatever to get the sort of feeling that you want. And then the composer will sometimes use that as a guide to what he ends up doing. Well, I had used as temp tracks in that episode all Bernard Herrmann score from Vertigo. So it was this very lush 50s Hitchcock movie music. And Green, and you know, there were sort of a lot of sequences of just the camera floating down corridors and a lot of sustained, steady cam shots without a lot of dialogue, particularly in the beginning. And, um, and the director was so concerned because I made him shoot it just the way I wrote it. He's like, "Look, if we do these long, sustained shots, the first thing they're going to do is want to cut them because they're going to think they're boring for TV." And I'm like, you, "You forget, they is me. Like I'm the I'm the producer. It, this will not get cut." And and nothing was cut of those shots. So I put in this vertigo score and Greenwald. I, I screen it for Greenwald, and he's like. Okay, it's great, but this music's terrible. We got to get rid of this music. And they're like, "Oh, that's interesting." J- Josh just called, and his comment was, "And what's really important is that score. We have to, we have to do that. That is just so perfect." And then Greenwald goes, "Like I was saying, I really love the music." <laughs> and then Rob Crawl really used that Bernard Herman score and did a variation on it. He didn't, he didn't rip it off, but he really captured sense of that vertigo score in in his score for the episode so there were just so many great things about that um and then as far as through the looking glass I directed that episode and that was also just like magic um it was so much fun to shoot that episode and uh, and I think by the way charisma is hilarious in that episode when she's like when she's like trying to escape and she's wearing that little skimpy outfit and she's carrying all the all the jewels and the, the the stuff she's stealing. And she's saying, you know, do I put out some kind of calm shuck me vibe? <laughs> I think that's the closest I ever got on network TV to just like having characters say actually filthy things. <laughs> <laughs> and you,
0: you got to direct Joss in that
1: episode. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Numphar, do the dance of joy. <laughs> Joss, we were in the room, we were breaking the story and uh, he was pitching out we were talking about that scene and he's like, you know, and then there's just, you know, it's like, no, far do the dance of joy. I think he's the one who said it. And then he started doing this funny dance in, in the writer's room. And I'm like, okay, it's gotta be you. You you have, you have, you have to do this. And I, I don't know how I talked him into it, but I did. And he, so of course he had to go down and, and spend hours in makeup, getting all that demon makeup put on him. And then he showed up to set and nobody knew it was him. Like We didn't tell the cast and we didn't tell the crew that it was Joss. And at some point, and there's, I think, a picture on my Facebook page of me standing next to a director's chair with Joss in the makeup, sitting in the director's chair. And um, at some point, somebody, maybe it was Boreanaz, was like, why is that extra sitting in your chair? And I'm like, because that extra can fire me. <laughs> and uh, he, when he was driving over... <laughs> When he was driving over to the set. He was in the van with the other people who were being ferried over to the location, coming from the hair and makeup. And I guess the stunt coordinator was in that van, uh, trashing the episode. Oh, this guy was, you know, this guy, you know, this is, you know, this is what people do, right? They're like, this stupid show we're working on—it's so fucking stupid. And the the, the uh, and you, you'll remember in the episode there was he was it was a uh, Lawrence swath of the Death Walk yeah. clan. Was like Lauren's full name, so uh, this this stunt coordinator is in the is in the van with Joss, talking about how dumb Angel is and how stupid this episode is and how retarded the whole thing is. And of course, the line producer knows that's Joss sitting there. And at the end of this van trip, and of course, Joss is not paying a bit of attention. He doesn't care what this guy's saying. He's not listening. But nobody knows that. And so they get to the location, and uh, and then Kelly Manders says, "By the way." That was Joss Whedon sitting next to you, Mike Vendrell of the dumb fuck plan.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so that was awesome. And, and the other funny thing was, because the whole notion was always, Numbfire would be like over the mother's shoulder doing that funny dance and going in and out of frame. And that, that that's what the comedy would be. Mm-hmm. And when I got in there and I cut the episode, I remember Joss coming into the editing room going, where's my coverage? Meaning, where are his close ups? And he's like, shouldn't we go to me? And I'm like, Josh, the whole idea was that you'd be this figure in the background. He's like, oh, right. I forgot I'm a narcissist.
0: (laughs) I don't star (laughs) in this show. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, show not called (laughs) Numphar. Although, (laughs) spinoff. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's a classic Angel moment for sure.
0: So it was kind of like, it was also like sandwiched in between... Two of these, two of these episodes, like one bringing it in, one, you know, taking it back out of Pylea. Is there something yeah. you had to deal with keeping the continuity, or were you just kind of involved in all three of those anyway?
1: Oh, I was involved in all the episodes. I mean, we broke them all together. I mean, I was lucky enough to get the episode that kind of stood alone in a way. And it's all—it's always great too when you get an episode where you can take things to kind of an extreme cliffhanger place. Because then the next person has to kind of figure out then how to fix all that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I, I, I would, uh, because it was a middle episode, I was allowed to really explore some, some some ideas and some themes, and I didn't have the burden of having to resolve everything. I just got to keep piling on the crises, and then go out there. I mean, I did the same thing on Dollhouse when I, you guys have seen Dollhouse, yes. yes. You know when I when I when I shot Summer Glau in the head. And then revealed that Boyd was the big bad. I mean, I, you know, in that episode, just like, I just pull out all the stops and let whoever wrote the next one figure it out.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for asking right. us before spoiling dogs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Go uh, ahead.
2: Along these lines, uh, Allie Jones wants to know, uh, since this is a podcast about new viewers, how do you feel Angel holds up after a decade? And what uh, do you think would be different if it was on the air right now instead?
1: Well, I think there's a certain cheesiness to it, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, it, it looks pretty good for a show that was on the WB 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly our, 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 the director of photography, uh, we had two of them. Uh, you know, those are really talented guys and the thing often looks lush and cinematic and, and great. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that first season in particular, uh, has a kind of disjointed feel to it and feels kind of dated. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it probably feels less so going forward. Yeah. Um, so how does it hold up? I mean, it's really hard for me to know. Mm-hmm. It, it does it yeah. does feel of its time. I will say that. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I was watching, uh, you know, on TNT in early in the mornings. Uh, <laughs> it was like, a. One of the Connor episodes, you know, Connor and the, the wire work, the fighting, uh, it looked really great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff worked pretty well. I will say I think I introduced that a little bit. And the first episode where he comes back and uh, there's a big giant fight. I directed that episode, and then after that episode, the fights got a lot more elaborate, and there was a lot more wire work and stuff, and I think that that definitely got better.
2: Uh, Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Okay, say one loves television writing but can't write a paragraph, but they have a child who is, like, really smart, and they want to, like, mold them into a television writer.
0: (laughs) Not anybody you know, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nobody, you know, just say... How, okay, what advice do you have for aspiring television writers?
1: Well, my advice would be, there's only one way to do it as far as I know, (coughs) which is to do it. In other words, to write. And the way you get a job as a TV writer is that you write spec scripts. Um, I wrote an x file spec. That's what I wrote. I mean, most people write several of these things. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll write, you know... But what you want to do is you want to kind of locate, I guess a lot, uh, now a lot of people write sort of spec pilot scripts Mm -hmm. as a sample of their work. Um, And I think that's probably the the, the trend now, but generally you want to see the spec of something that's on the air. So that you have something to judge it against, you Mm -hmm. know? And what you do is you pick a show that you feel like is probably going to be on the air for a while, something that is considered a well-written show. Um, And then you just write an episode of it. It's tricky because a lot of these shows, of course, are serialized, and it's hard to write a spec of a thing that's serialized, but it can be done. I mean, when I wrote my X-Files spec, I was writing a Monster of the Week episode, so I didn't really have that problem. But I suppose if you're going to try to write a Madman spec, you would sort of pick... Some point in the season and try to write something that, that would seem to fit in there.
2: okay um,
1: And that's how you do it. And the way and the other thing you do is you have to get TV scripts and read them. What I did was I got a stack of really Morgan and Wong scripts from the X-files, mm-hmm. went through them, deconstructed them, looked to see how long a teaser was and how many acts there were and how many pages those acts were, and then I just tried to do that thing. Ironically now, I work with James Warren. So see how life is just a circle.
2: <laughs> awesome. Uh,
1: it's it's funny you,
0: you brought up X Files. I'm actually going to be doing an X Files intro cast uh, at the end of the year, and maybe in a couple years when I get to uh, season five, maybe I'll uh, give you a call. <laughs> That's if you even sure. want to talk about. It. I mean, you said you say that it wasn't the most pleasant experience. I, I was I was curious about that, but I don't want to you know.
1: Well, I mean, it's it, it's it. Not saying anything against anybody. It just wasn't pleasant. I mean, you have to understand it was really only my second real job. Yeah. I'd written a lot of syndicated stuff that wasn't even Writers Guild. And then I wrote this X File spec. I was destitute. I had no prospects. And I couldn't answer the phone. I owed rent, all that crap. And I wrote, and, and my agent was like, you know, you need to write a spec. And so I was going to write a, a law and order or a picket fences or something, and then I realized, but I don't watch those shows. And if I was gonna write a law in order, I'd probably have to go to law school. So the only thing I did watch was the X-Files. So I wrote that, and a week later, I got a job. It was a miracle. And uh, and I got on Lois and Clark. And it was my first job on a, on a real TV staff. And I was the golden boy. I was the executive story editor. I was rewriting the producers. I was writing as much as they could get me to write. And they never rewrote a word that I wrote. And then Chris Carter called, he had read my script, and then asked me to come onto the X-Files. And luckily Lois and Clark got canceled. Mm -hmm. And I got to go over to the X-Files. But the thing is, it's like, that never happens. If you write a spec for a show, you're not getting on that show. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you do not write an X-Files spec to get onto the X-Files. You write it to get onto Lois and Clark. You write it to Mm -hmm. get onto something else. Um, and you're using it as a sample and that is because the people at the show that you've written Can spot the flaws in your sample in ways They're too that close to wanna... the. Yeah, exactly They're gonna yeah. have all kinds of issues with it. Well, turned out I guess I I hit it pretty close to the mark. So I Was brought in there and it just I'd gone from being kind of the star uh, Wunderkind over at Lois and Clark to just another writer at the X-Files where it's really hard to rise to the, to the to the surface there. And funnily enough, there was this uh, girl, Kim Metcalf, who was the assistant of Ken Horton, mm-hmm. who was the president of 1013. She would bring me into the Millennium trailer and she would say, I have to show you something. And she'd take me into a room and she'd put in these videotapes of Buffy. And she'd show me like, surprise and innocence and she'd show me these episodes of angel and buffy i didn't watch buffy and she would say to me you need to be working with joss whedon and mm. i'd say i don't get it it's a girly show she's a cheerleader it's called buffy for god's sake i i mean you know i'm a, I'm a manly man writing on the x-files for god's sake um she's like no no you, this is the guy you need to be working with and then two years later i was it was just strange wow wow Excellent. Yeah.
0: So uh well we've been doing this for about an hour. Maybe we should uh maybe we should wrap it up. All Steph, right. you have anything else to say? Uh doesn't wanna take up any more of his time. <laughs>
2: uh I think that we've asked it on. About
0: an hour away from now she's gonna be uh calling you back on Skype. So uh I'm like oh my gosh, there was so many things I wanted I to talk about. <laughs> But uh, okay, well, thank you very much for uh, coming on to Redemption Cast. It's, we're just uh, kind of a, a very uh, s- small podcast right now, and uh, really appreciate you coming in and uh, maybe giving us some cred.
1: <laughs> cool. Whatever, whatever little cred I have, you're welcome to it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Maybe they'll cancel maybe they'll cancel your podcast after thirteen podcasts. <laughs> you can follow in my foot my my failure footsteps. Although American Horror Story got picked up, so yeah. and Jessica Lang's winning all the awards, yeah. so it's all good.
0: Well deserved too. Yeah. Uh well, now I want to ask about American horror story stuff. But <laughs> I, I basically I basically want to be like, What's going on in season two? But I you probably oh, I you know tell what yeah. <laughs>
2: I don't want to know because that was what was so brilliant about American horror story. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what it was going to be. And it was just such a surprise.
1: Yeah. Well, it's going to be more of that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not anything you could possibly expect. Let's put it that way. If you thought last year was crazy, this year is going to make last year look like the first season of Downton Abbey.
2: All right.
1: No kidding
0: all right well thank you very much, Tim for coming on and uh, all right I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll end the podcast now and uh, we'll catch you guys back on the episode for what was I saying parting gifts yeah Party gifts. Parting
1: gifts all right. all right bye everybody bye. bye.